This morning, our congregation is beginning a conversation that has been suggested by Mennonite Church USA to help us identify and reflect on the scriptures that have shaped us as individuals and as families and as a congregation. Matt By, the chair of the Nurture Commission, will be introducing this process a little bit later on during the service here. But as we begin these conversations together, I thought that, you know, this would be a good time for me just to take the opportunity to share with you about my own journey with the Bible. So this is more of personal reflections this morning than it is a, a bona fide sermon. Looking back, I would say that my journey with Scripture begins with this song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I can remember singing it down the basement in my Sunday school room at the Bloomington Mennonite Church, sitting in those little red Sunday school chairs. Any of you remember those little red Sunday school chairs? I was probably four years old. And although I couldn't have said it at this time, looking back, I can see that that song gave me an important interpretive lens through which to read the Bible. I understood the Bible to be the story of how God in Jesus loved the world, including me. And I soon learned that within this bigger story were lots of other stories, stories that I, as a child, found quite engaging. Now, I was, a, I was a pretty imaginative child. So when I heard these stories, I entered right into them as if I were there. I trailed Miriam quietly, of course, as she hid her baby brother in the bulrushes. I held my breath as David faced Goliath with only five little stones and a slingshot. Trembling, I walked with Daniel down into that lion's den. And with awe and wonder, I gazed at the baby Jesus lying in that manger, and I sang along with the angels to announce his birth. But I also learned that the Bible was more than a story. Another song that I remember singing in those little red chairs was the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Any of you else remember that song? Yeah. Here I heard a slightly different message about what the Bible was about. It was authority. It was the word of God. And you'd better believe it, and you'd better do what it says. Which I did. As an obedient oldest child, I, I took this message to heart. What I didn't understand was why my obedience didn't always sit well with my parents. I can remember when I was four or five playing out in the front yard, happy as a lark, smiling and greeting every stranger that walked by on the sidewalk. 
And when my mother discovered what I was doing, she actually became quite alarmed. And she said, Dawn, you simply cannot talk to strangers like that. To which I replied, or so they tell me, but the Bible says be kind to strangers. <laughs> My mother proceeded to explain why this was not a safe practice for five-year-old little girls. And so I did as I was told. But I remained confused about this contradiction between what the Bible said and what my mother said. And who was right? Turns out that was only the beginning of my questions. And my questions only seemed to get more complicated as time went on. They emerged most intensely for me when I was in college, as my friends and I would sit in the dining hall long after closing time, drinking coffee, and that's where I learned to drink coffee, drinking coffee and probing the basic tenets of our faith. Did a personal God really exist? One that sees us and knows us and cares about us and intervenes in our lives? Does this God really answer prayers? And was Jesus really the Son of God? And if so, what did that mean? And underneath all these questions and the many more questions that we were asking was a deeper one. Was the Bible and all that was in it really true? These were exhilarating conversations. They were also frightening conversations. Because they blew apart, they blew apart the certainty of a faith that had been so foundational for me. My solid ground crumbled. I didn't know where to plant my feet. It was a really difficult time. The blessing of this utterly disorienting experience was that it led me to seminary, of all places, not to become a pastor, no way, but to find answers for my troubling questions. And there, my first professor was Howard Charles, a very kind and gentle man who introduced me to inductive Bible study and to the Gospel of Luke. And that class was a turning point. It was the beginning of a lifelong process of putting my faith back together again in a new way. In that class, I found that I was still drawn to the Bible and to the stories that I found there. And I found that I loved the Jesus that I met in Luke. I loved the way that he welcomed women and sinners and outcasts and people who were utterly disoriented, just like me. And as I entered, I still remember this, as I entered into the Lucan story of Cleopas and his friend walking with a stranger on that road to Emmaus, 
I came to understand that Jesus was walking with me even when I couldn't begin to recognize him. I still didn't have all the answers that I was seeking. I still don't. But I was learning to be patient with the questions. And I was learning that God was in that space too, loving me as I was. This was important learning for me as Doug and I began our terms of service with Mennonite Central Committee in first in the Democratic Republic of Congo, then in Portugal, then in southeastern Kentucky. As we began those adventures of entering and working in these cross-cultural settings, I continued to be drawn back into that biblical story. And I found that that story helped me understand what it was that I was experiencing, even as my experiences were helping me understand the Bible in new ways. As we witness poverty and suffering and trauma related to war and to blatant economic injustice, Jesus' inaugural sermon in Luke 4 became a grounding point for me. While the church in all three settings seemed primarily concerned about the afterlife, they were primarily concerned about getting people saved so that they would go to heaven, I kept hearing Jesus putting the emphasis elsewhere. I heard him say that his mission so clearly articulated in Luke 4 was to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor here and now. During those years living in different parts of the world, I pondered a lot. I pondered what this meant for the folks with whom I was living and working. And sometimes we all together sat and pondered it. And what great satisfaction there was when we found ways, often very small ways, to engage in the liberating, healing, restoring work of Jesus together right then and right there. Our work with MCC, with people who were on the margins of their culture and society and people who were largely invisible to the rest of the world, also caused me to do a lot of thinking about barriers, about human social constructions that separate people from each other and that determine who is privileged and who is not and who has access to resources and opportunities, and who does not. Walls that fostered and actually created fear and hate and violence. As I reflected on the barriers I was encountering in our particular settings, I was again drawn back to those biblical stories about Jesus for my orientation. And what I saw in Jesus was somebody who either didn't get it or who simply disregarded the barriers that were meant to limit his interaction with others. I saw him initiating a conversation with a Samaritan woman 
That should never have happened. I saw him inviting despised tax collectors into his fellowship. I saw him touching people with leprosy. I saw him breaking Sabbath rules in order to heal and to reconcile. What I saw in Jesus was someone for whom love trumped all humanly constructed barriers meant to keep people at a distance from each other and at a distance from God. And I knew without a doubt that this was the Jesus that I wanted to follow. This engagement with scripture as I engaged my life became a pattern for me that did not end when we finished our time with MCC. Alongside Moses, I argued with God in the wilderness as I resisted, I resisted a lot, what was becoming a clear call to ministry for me. With Jeremiah lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, I lamented the destruction of one that I had known and loved when my dad suffered a severe traumatic brain injury as a result of a bike accident. And with Jeremiah, in the midst of our deep lament, I clung to these words of hope in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. I could go on and tell you more stories, and you would have plenty of your own to add, and I hope you will have a chance to share some of these with each other during this conversation that we will be having here in Sunday school classes primarily. But in the end, what I really want to say is this. Time and time again, life has taken me back into the biblical story. And in that story, I have found myself. This is not to say that my relationship with the Bible has been an easy one, without questions, without struggles. As I read the Bible, I am not always comfortable with what I find there. Holy war. Stories about faithfulness expressed as religious and ethnic purity. Passages about God's judgment and wrath. Directives for women in the church to keep silent. At the same time, I marvel as other voices enter the conversation within the Bible itself. While there are plenty of stories about holy war in the Bible, Jesus enters the scene teaching and embodying love for the enemy. And while Ezra insists on ethnic and religious purity, the Holy Spirit moves in and moves the church toward radical 
inclusiveness, a radical inclusion of Gentiles. And alongside verses about God's wrath and judgment appear rich and abundant images about God's mercy and steadfast love that endures forever. And even after telling women to keep silent in church, Paul closes several of his letters with words of praise and words of encouragement for women who were actively serving as leaders in the early church. I marvel that the Bible doesn't try to suppress this diversity of thought and perspective. It's all right there. It allows this tension to be there without trying to resolve it. And I wonder what I am to learn from this, what, what we as a church can learn from this. Could this generous space that the Bible provides for conversation be a model for us as we struggle with the diversity of our own voices? Might we someday come to feel blessed rather than burdened as we struggle with the creative tension inherent in such conversations and as we grow through them? Engaging this creative tension is hard work. It's really hard work. It's messy work. And it's best done, I think, when we can let go, at least, at least for a moment, of all the complexities and go back to the beginning. Actually, go back to where I started my reflections this morning, to what I understand still to be the most basic and most important theme of the Bible something I learned in the basement of the Bloomington Mennonite Church, sitting on those little red Sunday school chairs, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus loves us all, the whole world. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. We can trust that this love is bigger than our limited perspectives and our need for certain answers. We can trust that this love embraces us always, even in our struggle. And we can trust that this love continues to breathe into Scripture and through Scripture into our lives to encourage us, to challenge us, and to transform us. May we open ourselves to it. May we delve deeply into it. May we find new life through it. Amen.